to thank the worship team and the members of the orchestra and everybody for uh, leading us in worship today. What a great, great start to our service. Uh, would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28? We've been in Matthew's Gospel uh, this year. We're going to continue that as we look at this story of the resurrection. And I'd like to read it for us. Uh, chapter 28, beginning at verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Let's pray. Father, as we read this account of the resurrection, joy fills our heart. What an awesome sight it must have been for those who were there, for the women who came to the tomb that morning to see the stone rolled away, to see and hear the angel speak, and to see you, Jesus, the risen Lord. Father, would you stir our hearts today and equip us to be your witnesses too who faithfully tell of the risen Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For many years, our family made it a habit to watch the Jesus film on either the Friday night or the Saturday before Easter. When our boys were growing up, we wanted them to understand what this time of year is all about, what Good Friday and Easter are all about. That it's not about Easter eggs, and it's not about bunny rabbits and candy and all those kind of things that get associated with it. It's about Jesus. And what he did for us when he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again on Easter Sunday. We wanted them to know that and we thought it would be good for them to see this powerful movie on the life of Christ. But it can be hard for kids to watch the scenes of the crucifixion. It's hard for adults to watch that. To see Jesus arrested as he is betrayed and then beaten and mocked and then nailed to a cross. 
It's hard to see those scenes, especially when you understand that He did that for you and me. He died in our place. He suffered for us. But what gives us hope when we watch that story of the life of Christ is that we know the ending. That it doesn't end in the tomb. That's not the end of the story. But we serve a risen Christ who came back from the dead and who triumphed over sin and death and Satan. Jesus is alive. I think of one family who was telling about their little girl who was watching the movie on the life of Christ. And when Jesus was crucified, she was in tears. The tears were coming down her face. And then as she saw them lay Jesus in the tomb, she got this big smile. And she grinned and she said, Now comes the good part. Isn't that the way we feel? We look forward. We know what Good Friday is about, but we look forward to Easter morning when we can come together on this Resurrection Sunday to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. changes our thoughts on all of what happened there. helps us to understand the meaning and the significance of it. It fills us with joy and hope because of Jesus' triumph. And His victory becomes our victory when we place our faith in Him. Jesus showed that He is Lord of all, that He has the power to forgive sins and to give us eternal life. Some have said that the resurrection was the exclamation point on Jesus' life and ministry. And it's why we are here today. So today we're going to look at Matthew's account of the resurrection, and there are three things that I would like you to do in response to this text. Number one, look. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has always been a great encouragement to me that our faith is rooted in historical fact. You can take a look. You can read the stories for yourself. You can see the historical support that is there for it. When I was in college... Josh McDowell came out with his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I read that for the very first time, and I just devoured it. I mean, I had never heard or seen that kind of evidence to support the reliability of Scripture, the prophecies that have been fulfilled both in the life of Christ as well as in history, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, F.F. Bruce said that there is no body of ancient literature in the world that enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. I mean, if people want to throw out the New Testament, you'd have to throw out all of ancient history. Uh, We couldn't be certain of anything that happened in Rome or Greece or with Plato or Aristotle or Homer or any of the other early ancient writers. We'd have to toss it all out. There is far more support for the historicity of the New Testament than any other document in ancient history. But many people don't know that. The evidence points unmistakably to the fact that on the third day Jesus rose again. The Gospels were written that we might see and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And at center stage in their story of the resurrection is the empty tomb. We read here about the women who came to the tomb that morning. 
And when they came early on Sunday morning, they were not expecting a resurrection. They came really to complete the burial that had begun on Friday when Jesus was laid in the tomb. It was before the Sabbath, and so it had to be done in haste. It was not prepared like they would have liked to do that. And so they came that morning with spices and things to embalm the body and to care lovingly for Jesus. Their main concern when they came that morning was the stone. Who's going to move the stone away? How are they going to get into the tomb? And they had not worked out a plan for that. They just came in faith and they came wanting to help and thought maybe we could find someone who would do that. And when they came that morning... They were hugely surprised to see the stone had been rolled away and to see an angel sitting upon it. You know, and I think when I read this account, I think there's a little bit of humor in that. Here's this angel, you know, like ho-hum, you know, this stone that would take uh, several men to move and roll back from the tomb. Here he is sitting upon it as kind of a little chair for him, glowing, white as lightning. The women saw him. And they were afraid and they wondered at what had happened. Well, when they came, there had been a great earthquake again. Whether that was caused by the angel rolling the stone away or whether it was an aftershock from the day before, we don't know. But it is interesting that on Good Friday also there had been this tremendous earthquake. Across the page in my Bible in chapter 27 verse 50 It said that when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit that day on Good Friday. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. I mean, all of these individuals saw what was going on. They felt the tremors. They saw the darkness. All of these things that were natural on one sense, but supernatural in their timing. God was demonstrating his power. And what had just happened with Jesus Christ's death on the cross for our sins. And now this morning, the ground once again shook. And the guards that Pilate had sent to guard the tomb were so afraid of the angel that they shook. In Greek, it's the same word that's used to describe the earthquake. That just as the ground shook, now these, these men shook at the appearance of the angel and the trembling of the earth, and they became like dead men. Isn't it interesting that these men who had been sent to guard a dead man now become like dead men because the dead man is alive? Now try saying that fast three times. Let's see. You know, the, the living became like the dead because the dead had become alive. They knew the tomb was empty. And it is because of this empty tomb that they had to devise a story that the religious leaders meant because they didn't want people to know the fact of the resurrection. They came up with this story that the disciples had stolen the body while the guards were asleep. And yet those who would think about that knew that that couldn't have been. The guards, 
if they had fallen asleep, would have been put to death for neglecting their duty. The disciples who left in fear on the day in which Jesus was arrested were not the kind of men who would have come, overpowered the guards, rolled the stone away, and taken the body out. It doesn't fit. It has often been said that the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let the women and the disciples in. And the angel that day said, Do not be afraid. We know why you are here. Jesus is not here. He has risen, just as he said. And come and see the place where he lay. The angel invites them to come and to look at the evidence. Look at the grave clothes that are there. See the empty tomb and know for yourself that Jesus is alive. Scriptures invite us to do that as well. To examine the evidence and to come to a decision ourselves about Jesus' death and resurrection. Lee Strobel tells a story about a man who has been known as the most successful lawyer in history. He at one time won 245 consecutive murder trials, either before a jury or on appeal. 245 consecutive trials. His name's in the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, and it's not F. Lee Bailey. It's not Johnny Cochran or any of these other lawyers that you might think of today. This man's name is Sir Lionel Lucku. He died in 1997, and he was the most famous of British attorneys. Now, what skills do you think you need to rise to that level of courtroom success? Now, certainly you've got to be smart. You've got to be savvy. You must have tremendous analytical skills so you can look at a case and kind of take it apart. You must be a world-class expert on what constitutes reliable and persuasive evidence. And all of that describes Lucku, who was knighted twice by Queen Elizabeth and who also served as a distinguished diplomat and a justice on his country's highest court. And during his own spiritual journey, Lucku began to examine the evidence and looked at the question of whether or not the resurrection of Jesus Christ fit the legal tests of evidence. And the conclusion he reached is that he said, I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Lucku was raised in a nominal Christian home, but in 1978 he experienced a profound conversion that changed his life. And he went on to speak and write about the evidence for the faith time and time again. Look at the evidence. That's what the Scripture invites us to do. And secondly, it invites us to listen to the eyewitnesses. Listen to their testimony. Listen to the angel who said, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. The angels were present at the birth of Christ. They announced His coming to this world, so it's not surprising that they would also be there at His death and His resurrection. Listen to Jesus, the angel invites us to. Listen to Jesus who told His disciples beforehand what was going to happen to Him. In Matthew 16, after Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew tells us, that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. It's pretty clear, isn't it? He told them exactly what was going to happen to them as they were making their way toward Jerusalem. Peter, when he heard that, said, Never, Lord. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. He understood that the enemy wanted to keep him from going to the cross. Wilbur Smith, the biblical scholar, wrote concerning Jesus' predictions of his death and resurrection. And he said, If our Lord said frequently, with great definiteness and detail, that after he went up to Jerusalem he would be put to death, but on the third day he would rise again from the grave, and this prediction came to pass, then it has always seemed to me that everything else that our Lord said must also be true. No founder of any world religion ever dared to say what Jesus said, that I will die and rise again on the third day. Five times in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. You can read the accounts in his Gospel. Listen to the testimony of the women. Mary Magdalene said, After the resurrection, I have seen the Lord. Now, if you were making this story up, you would not have had women be the first witnesses, the first ones to come to the tomb. Because at that time in history, women were considered unreliable witnesses and could not give testimony in a court. And yet here they are, the first to hear and see and meet Jesus. Listen to the disciples. Like John, who saw the grave clothes, empty, like a cocoon. He saw them lying there and separated, just like the body had disappeared from within them. And he believed Listen to the disciples like Thomas who saw Jesus' hands and sighed and said, My Lord and my God. Or listen to Peter who said that we were eyewitnesses of His majesty in 2 Peter 1.16. Peter would go on on the day of Pentecost to preach to those who had gathered in Jerusalem on that day. And he boldly declared, Therefore, Let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The people heard the testimony of the disciples as they boldly declared that Jesus was alive. Scripture invites us, look at the evidence, listen to the testimonies, listen to those who were there, and then live by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Live by faith in Christ. When the people heard Peter declare that this Jesus whom they had crucified was Lord and Christ, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit brought such great conviction upon them that they asked the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What should we do? And Peter replied to them and he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Gospel calls for a response on our part. 
It's not enough to simply know these facts about Jesus or to say, well, yeah, maybe that was true or okay, yeah, I sort of understand that. You know, it calls for a response of our heart. It's not enough to know it in our mind. We must believe with our heart and yield our lives to the risen Christ. There was a Bible translator who was working with a tribal group to translate the New Testament into their language. And what he discovered was that in their language they had no word for faith or trust that he knew of. And so he tried to get them to you know, help him understand how he might say this clearly so that they would understand what faith is. So he sat in a chair and he asked them, he said, what am I doing now? And they described what he was doing. And then as he sat in that chair, he picked up his feet off of the floor and he leaned back in the chair, putting his full weight upon it. And he asked them, now, what am I doing? And they described that action with a word. And that was the word he used to translate what faith is. To put your full weight upon Jesus Christ and to trust in Him and Him alone for what He has done for us. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus used a story from the Old Testament to explain why He came. And he said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That story is from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, where again the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness, had grumbled and complained against God. They had sinned against him. And God sent these venomous snakes that were there in the desert among them, and they bit some of them, and they died. And the people cried out and they said, you know, to Moses, what should we do? What should we do? To confess their sin and turn from it. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Anyone who is bitten can look and live. And I suppose that there were people in that group who also doubted and who thought, well, how's that going to help? You know, what is that going to do to, to look on this snake? That's not going to take the venom out of my veins or that's not going to stop this, is it? And there were those who by faith looked at God's provision and found life and healing. It's the same today. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus is God's provision. God in His grace provided a way that they could be saved. And they were to look upon His provision by faith and live. And it's the same thing. We come to Jesus Christ and we acknowledge our sin and we are to look upon this One who died in our place. And when we look to Him in faith, trusting Him as our Savior and Lord, He forgives our sins and He gives us eternal life. In the ancient history of the Middle East... Cyrus was an important king. And there is a beautiful and reportedly true story about Cyrus and a rebel chieftain named Caligula. And Caligula held some land on the southern border of Cyrus's kingdom. Cyrus defeated Caligula in battle, and complying with their rules of war, Caligula and his wife were summoned before King Cyrus to receive the death sentence. Ordinarily, the sentence would have been automatic. 
But Cyrus was impressed by the courage and appearance of this man, Caligula, as he stood before him, strong and tall, courageous. So King Cyrus began to question him, and he said, Caligula, if I were to spare your life, what would you do? Sir, I would return to my home with gratitude and remain for the rest of my life your obedient servant. And then Cyrus said, And what would you do if I spared your wife? And Caligula answered, O your majesty, if you would do that, I would gladly die for you. So impressed was Cyrus that he required Caligula only to give an oath of allegiance to the king, and then he sent him home a free man. A short time later, when they were at home, Caligula and his wife were talking. And he said to her, Did you notice the beautiful marble in the king's palace? And she answered, No, I didn't see it. And then he asked her, Did you see the magnificent tapestries on the walls of the palace? No, she said, I didn't see them. And he said, Then surely you noticed that Cyrus was sitting on a throne of gold? And she said, I didn't notice Well, he asked, what did you see that day we stood before the king? And she replied, I saw only the face of one who would die for me. That's what Jesus did. He died for you and me. And we look, when we look upon him in faith, we look upon the one who is our Savior. Look, listen, and live. Look at the evidence. Listen to the eyewitnesses and live by faith in the Son of God. Jesus wants us to live in freedom. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He wants us to live with joy. He said to us, I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. He wants us to live with peace He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He wants us to live in love. He said, a new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And finally, He wants us to live by faith. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the testimony of all believers, that when we come to Christ we experience this great exchange where He takes our sin upon Himself and He pays that penalty that we deserve. And He comes to live in us. And by His power, He sets us free. For those of us who know Christ, this day is a great day. Our response is like the women who saw Jesus. We worship Him. We praise Him. And we are to be His witnesses in the world wherever He sends us and to tell others about Jesus. For those who don't know Christ, this is the day that I would invite you to come to know Him as your Savior and Lord. And I can't think of a better day to do that than today. 
to come and to surrender your life to Him, to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to be your Savior and Lord, what a great day it would be if today was the beginning of your new life in Christ. And if you've heard the Holy Spirit speaking to you, if you're here, you're not sure of your relationship with Christ, and you've heard the Spirit just tugging at your heart today, I want to give you an opportunity to make that commitment to Christ as I close in prayer. A prayer of invitation that I would invite you to pray along with me. Let's do that. Let's bow together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you are the Son of God, the risen Savior. And I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I invite you to come into my life to be my Savior and Lord. Jesus, help me to know you better and to follow your will for my life. And Jesus, for those of us who know you, we thank you for that day when you reached down and you saved us. And your Holy Spirit did a work in our life to open our eyes to see and know who you are, the risen Christ. Help us to walk with you each day in the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us to be your witnesses in this world. We ask it in your name. Amen. If you made that commitment,